Section 7 of Gray's Anatomy Part 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Laurie Ann Walden. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 3, by Henry Gray. The Heart, Part 2. Left Ventricle, Ventriculus Sinister. The left ventricle is longer and more conical in shape than the right and on transverse section its concavity presents an oval or nearly circular outline. It forms a small part of the sternocostal surface, and a considerable part of the diaphragmatic surface of the heart. It also forms the apex of the heart. Its walls are about three times as thick as those of the right ventricle. Its interior presents the following parts for examination. Openings. Left atrioventricular aortic. Valves, bicuspid or mitral, aortic. Trabeculi carni, cordi tendini. The left atrioventricular opening, mitral orifice, is placed below and to the left of the aortic orifice. It is a little smaller than the corresponding aperture of the opposite side, admitting only two fingers. It is surrounded by a dense fibrous ring, covered by the lining membrane of the heart, and is guarded by the bicuspid or mitral valve. The aortic opening is a circular aperture, in front and to the right of the atrioventricular, from which it is separated by the anterior cusp of the bicuspid valve. Its orifice is guarded by the aortic semilunar valves. The portion of the ventricle, immediately below the aortic orifice, is termed the aortic vestibule and possesses fibrous instead of muscular walls. The bicuspid or mitral valve, valvula bicuspidalis, or mitralis, is attached to the circumference of the left atrioventricular orifice in the same way that the tricuspid valve is on the opposite side. It consists of two triangular cusps formed by duplicatures of the lining membrane, strengthened by fibrous tissue, and containing a few muscular fibers. The cusps are of unequal size, and are larger, thicker, and stronger than those of the tricuspid valve. The larger cusp is placed in front and to the right between the atrioventricular and aortic orifices, and is known as the anterior or aortic cusp. The smaller or posterior cusp is placed behind and to the left of the opening. Two smaller cusps are usually found at the angles of junction of the larger. The cusps of the bicuspid valve are furnished with cordy tendini, which are attached in a manner similar to those on the right side. They are, however, thicker, stronger, and less numerous. The aortic semilunar valves are three in number, and surround the orifice of the aorta. Two are anterior, right and left, and one posterior. They are similar in structure and in their mode of attachment to the pulmonary semilunar valves, but are larger, thicker, and stronger. The lunuli are more distinct, and the noduli, or corpora arantii, thicker and more prominent. Opposite the valves, the aorta presents slight dilatations, the aortic sinuses, sinuses of valsalva, which are larger than those at the origin of the pulmonary artery. The trabeculi carniae are of three kinds, like those upon the right side but they are more numerous, and present a dense interlacement, especially at the apex and upon the posterior wall of the ventricle. 
The musculi papillaris are two in number, one being connected to the anterior, the other to the posterior wall. They are of large size, and end in rounded extremities, from which the cordy tendony arise. The cordy tendony from each papillary muscle are connected to both cusps of the bicuspid valve. Ventricular septum. Septum ventriculorum, interventricular septum. The ventricular septum is directed obliquely backward and to the right, and is curved with a convexity toward the right ventricle. Its margins correspond with the anterior and posterior longitudinal sulci. The greater portion of it is thick and muscular, and constitutes the muscular ventricular septum. But its upper and posterior part, which separates the aortic vestibule from the lower part of the right atrium and upper part of the right ventricle, is thin and fibrous, and is termed the membranous ventricular septum. An abnormal communication may exist between the ventricles at this part, owing to defective development of the membranous septum. Structure The heart consists of muscular fibers, and of fibrous rings which serve for their attachment. It is covered by the visceral layer of the serous pericardium, epicardium, and lined by the endocardium. Between these two membranes is the muscular wall, or myocardium. The endocardium is a thin, smooth membrane which lines and gives the glistening appearance to the inner surface of the heart. It assists in forming the valves by its reduplications, and is continuous with the lining membrane of the large blood vessels. It consists of connective tissue and elastic fibers, and is attached to the muscular structure by loose elastic tissue, which contains blood vessels and nerves. Its free surface is covered by endothelial cells. The fibrous rings surround the atrioventricular and arterial orifices, and are stronger upon the left than on the right side of the heart. The atrioventricular rings serve for the attachment of the muscular fibers of the atria and ventricles, and for the attachment of the bicuspid and tricuspid valves. The left atrioventricular ring is closely connected, by its right margin, with the aortic arterial ring. Between these and the right atrioventricular ring is a triangular mass of fibrous tissue, the trigonum fibrosum, which represents the os cordis seen in the heart of some of the larger animals, as the ox and elephant. Lastly, there is the tendinous band, already referred to, the posterior surface of the conus arteriosus. The fibrous rings surrounding the arterial orifices serve for the attachment of the great vessels and semilunar valves. Each ring receives, by its ventricular margin, the attachment of some of the muscular fibers of the ventricles. Its opposite margin presents three deep semicircular notches, to which the middle coat of the artery is firmly fixed. The attachment of the artery to its fibrous ring is strengthened by the external coat and serous membrane externally, and by the endocardium internally. From the margins of the semicircular notches, the fibrous structure of the ring is continued into the segments of the valves. The middle coat of the artery in this situation is thin, and the vessel is dilated to form the sinuses of the aorta and pulmonary artery. Cardiac muscular tissue. The fibers of the heart differ very remarkably from those of other striped muscles. They are smaller by one-third, and their transverse striae are by no means so well marked. They show faint longitudinal striation. 
The fibers are made up of distinct quadrangular cells, joined end to end so as to form a syncytium. Each cell contains a clear oval nucleus situated near its center. The extremities of the cells have a tendency to branch or divide, the subdivisions uniting with offsets from other cells, and thus producing an anastomosis of the fibers. The connective tissue between the bundles of fibers is much less than an ordinary striped muscle, and no sarcolemma has been proved to exist. Purkinje fibers. Between the endocardium and the ordinary cardiac muscle are found, embedded in a small amount of connective tissue, peculiar fibers known as Purkinje fibers. They are found in certain mammals and in birds, and can be best seen in the sheep's heart, where they form a considerable portion of the moderator band, and also appear as gelatinous-looking strands on the inner walls of the atria and ventricles. They also occur in the human heart, associated with the terminal distributions of the bundle of hiss. The fibers are very much larger in size than the cardiac cells, and differ from them in several ways. In longitudinal section they are quadrilateral in shape, being about twice as long as they are broad. The central portion of each fiber contains one or more nuclei, and is made up of granular protoplasm, with no indication of striations while the peripheral portion is clear and has distinct transverse striations. The fibers are intimately connected with each other, possess no definite sarcolemma, and do not branch. The muscular structure of the heart consists of bands of fibers which present an exceedingly intricate interlacement. They comprise a. the fibers of the atria, b. the fibers of the ventricles, and c the atrioventricular bundle of hiss. The fibers of the atria are arranged in two layers, a superficial, common to both cavities, and a deep, proper to each. The superficial fibers are most distinct on the front of the atria, across the bases of which they run in a transverse direction, forming a thin and incomplete layer. Some of these fibers run into the atrial septum. The deep fibers consist of looped and annular fibers. The looped fibers pass upward over each atrium, being attached by their two extremities to the corresponding atrioventricular ring, in front and behind. The annular fibers surround the auriculae, and form annular bands around the terminations of the veins and around the fossa ovalis. The fibers of the ventricles are arranged in a complex manner, and various accounts have been given of their course and connections. The following description is based on the work of McCallum. They consist of superficial and deep layers, all of which, with the exception of two, are inserted into the papillary muscles of the ventricles. The superficial layers consist of the following. a. Fibers which spring from the tendon of the conus arteriosus, and sweep downward and toward the left, across the anterior longitudinal sulcus, and around the apex of the heart, where they pass upward and inward to terminate in the papillary muscles of the left ventricle. Those arising from the upper half of the tendon of the conus arteriosus pass to the anterior papillary muscle, those from the lower half to the posterior papillary muscle and the papillary muscles of the septum. B. Fibers which arise from the right atrioventricular ring and run diagonally across the diaphragmatic surface of the right ventricle 
and around its right border onto its costo-sternal surface, where they dip beneath the fibers just described, and, crossing the anterior longitudinal sulcus, wind around the apex of the heart and end in the posterior papillary muscle of the left ventricle. C. Fibers which spring from the left atrioventricular ring and, crossing the posterior longitudinal sulcus, pass successively into the right ventricle and end in its papillary muscles. The deep layers are three in number. They arise in the papillary muscles of one ventricle and, curving in an S-shaped manner, turn in at the longitudinal sulcus and end in the papillary muscles of the other ventricle. The layer, which is most superficial in the right ventricle, lies next the lumen of the left, and vice versa. Those of the first layer almost encircle the right ventricle, and, crossing in the septum to the left, unite with the superficial fibers from the right atrioventricular ring to form the posterior papillary muscle. Those of the second layer have a less extensive course in the wall of the right ventricle, and a correspondingly greater course in the left, where they join with the superficial fibers from the anterior half of the tendon of the conus arteriosus to form the papillary muscles of the septum. Those of the third layer pass almost entirely around the left ventricle and unite with the superficial fibers from the lower half of the tendon of the conus arteriosus to form the anterior papillary muscle. Besides the layers just described, there are two bands which do not end in papillary muscles. One springs from the right atrioventricular ring and crosses in the atrioventricular septum. It then encircles the deep layers of the left ventricle and ends in the left atrioventricular ring. The second band is apparently confined to the left ventricle. It is attached to the left atrioventricular ring and encircles the portion of the ventricle adjacent to the aortic orifice. The atrioventricular bundle of his is the only direct muscular connection known to exist between the atria and the ventricles. Its cells differ from ordinary cardiac muscle cells in being more spindle-shaped. They are, moreover, more loosely arranged and have a richer vascular supply than the rest of the heart muscle. It arises in connection with two small collections of spindle-shaped cells, the sinoatrial and atrioventricular nodes. The sinoatrial node is situated on the anterior border of the opening of the superior vena cava. From it, strands of fusiform fibers run under the endocardium of the wall of the atrium to the atrioventricular node. The atrioventricular node lies near the orifice of the coronary sinus in the annular and septal fibers of the right atrium. From it, the atrioventricular bundle passes forward in the lower part of the membranous septum and divides into right and left fasciculi. These run down in the right and left ventricles, one on either side of the ventricular septum covered by endocardium. In the lower parts of the ventricles, they break up into numerous strands which end in the papillary muscles and in the ventricular muscle generally. The greater portion of the atrioventricular bundle consists of narrow, somewhat fusiform fibers, but its terminal strands are composed of Purkinje fibers. Dr. A. Morrison has shown that in the sheep and pig the atrioventricular bundle is a great avenue for the transmission of nerves from the auricular to the ventricular heart, large and numerous nerve trunks entering the bundle and coursing with it. 
From these, branches pass off and form plexuses around groups of Purkinje cells, and from these plexuses, fine fibrils go to innervate individual cells. Clinical and experimental evidence go to prove that this bundle conveys the impulse to systolic contraction from the atrial septum to the ventricles. Vessels and Nerves The arteries supplying the heart are the right and left coronary from the aorta. The veins end in the right atrium. The lymphatics end in the thoracic and right lymphatic ducts. The nerves are derived from the cardiac plexus, which are formed partly from the vagi and partly from the sympathetic trunks. They are freely distributed both on the surface and in the substance of the heart, the separate nerve filaments being furnished with small ganglia. The cardiac cycle and the actions of the valves. By the contractions of the heart, the blood is pumped through the arteries to all parts of the body. These contractions occur regularly, and at the rate of about 70 per minute. Each wave of contraction, or period of activity, is followed by a period of rest, the two periods constituting what is known as a cardiac cycle. Each cardiac cycle consists of three phases, which succeed each other as follows. 1 a short simultaneous contraction of both atria, termed the atrial systole, followed, after a slight pause, by 2. A simultaneous, but more prolonged, contraction of both ventricles, named the ventricular systole, and 3. A period of rest, during which the whole heart is relaxed. The atrial contraction commences around the venous openings, and sweeping over the atria forces their contents through the atrioventricular openings into the ventricles, regurgitation into the veins being prevented by the contraction of their muscular coats. When the ventricles contract, the tricuspid and bicuspid valves are closed and prevent the passage of the blood back into the atria. The musculi papillaries at the same time are shortened, and pulling on the cordy tendony prevent the inversion of the valves into the atria. As soon as the pressure in the ventricles exceeds that in the pulmonary artery and aorta, the valves guarding the orifices of these vessels are opened, and the blood is driven from the right ventricle into the pulmonary artery, and from the left into the aorta. The moment the systole of the ventricles ceases, the pressure of the blood in the pulmonary artery and aorta closes the pulmonary and aortic semilunar valves to prevent regurgitation of blood into the ventricles the valves remaining shut until reopened by the next ventricular systole. During the period of rest, the tension of the tricuspid and bicuspid valves is relaxed, and blood is flowing from the veins into the atria, being aspirated by negative intrathoracic pressure, and slightly also from the atria into the ventricles. The average duration of a cardiac cycle is about eight-tenths of a second, made up as follows. Atrial systole, one-tenth, atrial diastole, seven-tenths, ventricular systole, three-tenths, ventricular diastole, five-tenths, total systole, four-tenths, complete diastole, four-tenths. The rhythmical action of the heart is muscular in origin. That is to say, the heart muscle itself possesses the inherent property of contraction, apart from any nervous stimulation. The more embryonic the muscle, the better is it able to initiate and propagate the contraction wave. This explains why the normal systole of the heart starts at the entrance of the veins, for there the muscle is most embryonic in nature. 
At the atrioventricular junction, there is a slight pause in the wave of muscular contraction. To obviate this, so far as possible, a peculiar band of marked embryonic type passes across the junction, and so carries on the contraction wave to the ventricles. This band, composed of special fibers, is the atrioventricular bundle of his. The nerves, although not concerned in originating the contractions of the heart muscle, play an important role in regulating their force and frequency, in order to subserve the physiological needs of the organism. End of section 7